everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by Muckoff, who've just launched Punk Powder, their first ever plastic-free bike cleaner, and we've got a discount code for you coming right up. Punk Powder has enabled Muckoff to cut down on packaging for their cleaner by 92%. It comes in small sachets that you add to lukewarm water to make one litre of cleaner, and the cleaner itself is readily biodegradable and made from plant-based ingredients. It also means that we're not shipping water around the planet unnecessarily. So you can hop onto muckoff.com and grab yourself a lovely aluminium bottle for life, which is perfect to mix and store the cleaner in, along with some compostable punk powder sachets, which come in a handy recycled cardboard sleeve that then folds into a funnel to help you pour the powder into the bottle. The packaging is also printed with vegetable-based inks. I've tried it and it's super easy to mix. It's ready to go in seconds and it works just the same as the already awesome Muckoff Nanotech bike cleaner. It cleaned some pretty stubborn sheep poo off my bike with ease and left it looking great. If you want to try Punk Powder or get your hands on any of the rest of the Muckoff product range, then as a downtime listener, you can get 20% off during the month of September using the code DOWNTIME20 at the checkout over on muckoff.com. That's downtime all uppercase, followed by the number 20 over at muck-off.com. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. After a huge amount of work by the team, there's a print date scheduled for the first Downtime EP. I don't know about you, but I'm super excited to see this thing, get my hands on it and have a good read. If you want to be in with a chance to get one of the limited edition issues at special early bird pricing, then you've got just a couple of days to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP, leave us your name and email address, and we're going to be launching those early bird sales to everyone on the list really soon. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's probably going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe. So hit that now. It's free and it means you get every episode as soon as it's available. If you can't find a button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe where there's links to all the major platforms there to help you. It would also be great if you can give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's the best place to keep up to date with what's going on. And I love to hear from you in the comments and the messages there. All right, it's a busy week in the world of mountain biking. So here's your third episode of the week. And this time I'm sitting down with coach to the stars, Chris Kilmurray. We're going to chat all things Lenzerheide ahead of this weekend's race. What's the track like and what does it take to go well there? Will setup be changing much from Val de Sol? How's the overall shaping up? And plenty more. So without further ado, here's Chris Kilmurray. Chris Kilmurray, welcome back. How's things? I'm pretty good yourself. Yeah, very good. Thank you. That was a pretty exciting world champs, wasn't it? Yeah, um, amazing racing in the end. And uh, weather stayed good. Track deteriorated to a classic Val de Soli destroyed relatively quickly, but didn't really go beyond that. So the changes they kind of made with the man-made rock gardens worked out pretty well in the end. Racing was good, honest and fair. And just by and large, it was a, a, a... a classic world champs really couldn't ask for more definitely and um last time i spoke to you you had uh you had wild plans to ride from uh val de sol to to lenzerheide which is what a couple of hundred kilometers with some fairly big hills in between did uh, did that come to fruition it did for win win masters and chris uh seager managed to do it um everyone else i think a couple of the xc xc staff or xc people involved in the cross country world champs did it as well and uh, in the end i uh, i dipped out because the, the main organizer instigator was lyle hislop who's greg menard's mechanic and lyle, lyle's a good friend of mine from from back home in morzine so uh, 
I think the, the the big attraction for me was just spending the day out with Lyle. I haven't spent much time with him this year, so we were going to do a big big day out together with a few of the rest of the boys. But then Lyle obviously got quite merry after Greg won his his fourth <laughs> World Championships. So in the end, I just rode to the top, top of the, the race hill. I rode about 1,000 metres straight up and just rode some amazing low-me Val de Soli enduro tracks instead of instead of the big long grind, you know? Yeah, I think you made the right choice. <laughs> Yeah, it was a big week in the end. It was super, like, a crazy physical, mentally and physically extremely taxing for all the athletes and even for staff to a point as well. You know, it's it's a long week with the – it's five days including track walk, so it's you're switched on 100% from, you know, like in my case, about, about 5.30 or 6 a.m. to 10 or 11 p.m. Five days, you're just switched on all about bikes, all about riders, all about every last detail you can kind of work on to help everyone do the best job possible come race day. So it's, it's a big week for everyone involved. Yeah, and pretty much no recovery, right? You're you're packed up straight over to to Lenzerheide, reset up the pits and go again. Like, I mean, maybe the riders get a little bit of a break, but there's not much for the staff, eh? Yeah, riders kind of decompressed. You know, some of them went off and did a, a an easy ride with some nice views, or went to a, a pool or a spa, or went, you know, did whatever they kind of felt they liked to do uh, to to chill out and decompress. Just sit in front of Netflix or YouTube for a day. Uh, and then, you know, from yesterday onwards, most people get a, a long, a longer, easy ride in, do some prehab, rehab, light strength and conditioning work, and generally just kind of start ticking the boxes to feel as, as fresh and recovered as they can for, for this week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, talking about recovery, there was some impressive recoveries for people to get riding at world. So Bernard Kerr, I think had a, a, a hand injury from, uh, uh, from Maribor, Joe Breeden was recovering from a, a broken collarbone from national champs and put in a really solid run. Uh, Greg Williamson had the ankle issues. Are these guys what are they doing to get to, to recover that quickly to the point where they're able to ride a track like Valdezol? Is there any kind of interesting technology or like nutrition strategies that are kicking around in the pits that are helping people come back? Because it feels pretty quick for some of those injuries. Yeah, I think I think it's it's all of the factors that can have some sort of impact together. So it's never going to be a single factor. There's no special nutrition protocol. If, you know, as long as, as you're ticking all of the main boxes anyway, you're sleeping really well, you're eating really well, you get ad- adequate calories, adequate protein, you got a wide variety of fruits, vegetables, and colorful foods. Um, you're ticking all of those boxes and the body's doing its natural, normal biological healing processes. And then you put on top of that just enough load into a, a joint or a structure if, if it's able to take that. So for example, an ankle, if it's able to take an, a little bit of load earlier on in terms of just proprioceptive and balance work, and you're able to just, just continuously tick a few more boxes every day or every couple of days, you get yourself to a point where you can ride. And these guys are all, you know, everyone here, regardless of, of category, age, uh, sex or anything else they're all really by and large extremely good bike riders so even if you're carrying some sort of an injury as long as it's not causing huge amounts of pain or deficits in range of motion they can adapt a little bit and, and the body is able to adapt how it applies pressure to the different points in the bike that where it needs to be applied to actually ride it correctly and you can you can get away with you can get away with being a little bit beaten up and a little bit hurt and, and make it happen you know like Lord Bruni had a huge crash on Sunday morning he may not race here lens or high it's that bad but he managed to pull a sixth place in the world. So <laughs> yeah, you know, that's I, pretty incredible. Charlie Harrison was on his way to, I, it would have been, we worked out splits and, and interval wise, um, a top 10 performance at world champs. And it would have been nine weeks, nine weeks kind of, to, not to the day, but almost nine weeks to the day since he 
broke his arm, had surgery, he's got a plate in there and the bone is, the bone's healed, but not fully knitted together yet, you know? That's incredible, isn't it? Is there any, um, anything to support the use of like extra collagen for bone related injuries, like bone broth consumption, that sort of stuff? You see a lot of that going on, but. Yeah, I, th- I think it can, it, it definitely will not hurt. So any sort of animal protein, definitely on that end of the spectrum where we talk about gelatin, collagen, um, anything to top up the amino acid pool, and then it has a potential knock-on effect uh, specifically for connective tissues and joints and that sort of thing. So it definitely can't help. And I'm working with an injured rider at the moment, and and, uh, she's she's having, you know, vitamin C and gelatin shots just as as a safety net every day. Vitamin C, gelatin, and calcium as a safety net every day just to help support the body to heal the bone as well and as quickly as possible it might have a big impact might have a small impact may have no impact at all but it doesn't have any negatives so you might as well try yeah fair enough makes total sense all right let's talk a little bit about this track then tell us uh tell us a bit about it from from your perspective it's a it's an interesting one right kind of really fast in spots loose surface in certain spots uh, normally quite tight margins Yes, super, super tight margins historically, uh, with the occasional anomaly of a slightly bigger, a slightly bigger um, winning gap. Um, originally a very, very bike parky track, uh, but not what people think. It's not enjoyable berms that you can just hook around and just push into. It's odd, loose corners with support in the wrong spot and awkward, janky entries and exits. Uh, we used to have the infamous rock garden at the top. That's that was gone since in 2019 edition. Um, I think it looks like it's gone here from from a couple of images I've seen from other people. Uh, it's fast. It's awkward at times in terms of changes rhythm. It changes direction in a way that doesn't really naturally work with the hill. It's got old blown out rooty bits. It's got the new steep section we used in 2019. It's got little sections where there's a lot of time to be made up with a pump or a pedal. If you watch back some of the winning runs from previous from previous editions here, you can see where there is time to be made. The taping is always interesting because it's quite wide and bike parky, like I said. So sometimes the poles are put in quite tight across certain sections of the hill to try and slow the speeds down. But then the riders do a fantastic job of just bunny hopping the edge of the pole or just plowing straight through. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a mixed bag. It's not particularly long. It's about 480 meters elevation drop. So it's, you know, maybe 150 to 175 meters less than Valdesoli, you know, almost 250 or 300 meters less than, than Andorra. So physically it's not a supreme challenge like last week, but you can attack the hill top to bottom. So you need to be in tip top shape or at least be willing to incur a huge amount of fatigue by going a hundred percent from start to finish. Yeah. Are there any key sections on this track that, that you've seen in the past sort of differentiate riders where you can make some time? Uh, not as drastic as, say, as say Valdesoli, where, you know, sectors three and four kind of define the race because sectors three and four were scary, gnarly, technical, and had flat exits and entries between them. So carrying speed in and out was super important. So sectors three and four in Valdesoli were key to the race, whereas here it's, it's the whole hill. And if you watch back some of the live feeds from previous years, you'll see some of the biggest differences and some of the biggest issues Ryder had was making mistakes, making mistakes in the slightly more technical parts. So the famous plunge drop, um, some of the more awkward bike park corners, uh, some of the exits like the ones you'll see where there's a rooty exit to a small pocket and then a, a wooden wall, a wooden drop off across the road. 
So those sorts of little tight exits where you can carry huge speed, but also get caught up in a pad or a route or whatever else. Um, it's so it seems here, at least from my analysis and what I, what I remember from previous years, that it's easier to lose time by making mistakes than it is to gain time from a key section. Yeah. So what, what advice do you give to your riders then? Like, are there certain, uh, I don't know, certain things you'll brief them on or certain thoughts you'll try and plant in their heads before they go up the hill? I think, yeah, from, from early on practice, you need to get up to speed relatively quickly here, but there's definitely some fresher sections that aren't used as bike park. So they'll be fresh, slippy, awkward, won't have lines burned in early. So not paying too much attention to that sort of stuff, getting comfy, thinking about carrying exit speed on anything that's got a slow exit. And then those corners under the lift that you will see um, clips of, but you won't see in the live feed um, with some insides and outsides, uh, getting super comfy, getting enough weight in the front of the bike, changing or adapting setup. So you have lots of weight on the, on the front tire. So you have confidence in the traction you have in the front tire to carry heaps of speed on entries and exits to all those things. That's definitely going to be a big, a big focus this week. Cause I think yeah. that the more classic sections that are analyzed, like the, the, the new super steep section before the, the plunge drop and the whale tail that you'll see on TV. Um, and a couple of sections lower than that, that had multiple options in previous years, especially at world champs in 2018, they'll be analyzed heavily, but actually the margins that can be won and lost, there are pretty small. And it's, it's easier just to do a, a mediocre job in, in the corners above that and get to those sections with a, a two and a half or a three second deficit that you're never going to get back. Uh, interesting. Okay. So yeah, it's then, not necessarily obvious where you're making time. Yeah. And I think I don't want to give too much, I'm almost giving too much away depending on who listens to this, <laughs> but uh the, the run into the line has some key features, let's say. The run into the, to the finish line. So what you, you'll see it all on television. Um, the run into the finish line has some key features and there is time to be had there as well. For And it's just yeah. sim- simple, good bike riding. Because you'll see, you'll see guys come down and there'll be, uh, in the women's field especially, there'll be a point, a 1.2 or, or a 0.8 second deficit and they'll turn it around to a, a victory or a, a near victory just in the last 100 meters, 80 meters of track. I'm just trying to remember. There's a like a jump into a left, isn't there? Then a flat right into the final drop. There you go. Yeah, those those sorts of features, and even above that as well. Yeah, I think it's yeah. it's all. So I'm, I'm not sure if it's uh, whether this week I'll see how practice rolls out. But for the riders I work with, talking about you know we talked a lot about uh, rhythm in Valdosoli, not not getting the seesaw effect because how rough Valdosoli was super easy to get a seesaw effect on the bike and feel like you're going back and forth and almost your mass has been pushed around by the bike. And you wanted to approach Valasoli in terms of choosing lines and hitting it aggressive enough that you were in control. So the seesaw never happened because you always had to wait at the right place at the right time. So mm-hmm. here in, in Lenzerheide, it's, it's definitely going to be more of a, a pressure and a rhythm and a patience kind of thing. Because you can only go so fast in a lot of these sections. Yeah. You mentioned the seesaw. How, how important is um, suspension balance in that equation compared to kind of rider input and uh, precision? Yeah, I think, look, especially here, but definitely last week as well, keeping when the tires are on the ground, they should be on the ground. They shouldn't be skittering around. So that's that's the key one to look for. And, and that's going to be that's going to be front and rear bias, like balance. That's going to be tires and rims. That's definitely going to be spring rates and, and low-speed compression damping and low-speed rebound damping. So there's there's a lot to think of. And the vast majority of riders have a pretty pretty solid base setup to, to tweak and, and twiddle from. Um, but I definitely think yeah, front front wheel traction displaced to give confidence in what should be. It looks kind of dry out the window now. What should be a relatively grippy and dry practice tomorrow, hopefully. So that front wheel confidence yeah. is going to be super important. 
So do you think riders will be potentially running different wheel sets to those that they ran in Val That's that's a question for them. I don't actually know. I'll keep an eye <laughs> out though. I'll keep an eye out. Obviously it's to, it's it's easy to see rim construction if our riders have the option to to change between different rim widths and different rim materials between carbon and alloy. That's pretty easy to see. But then beyond that, straight gauge spokes are different thicknesses, bladed spokes, tensions, that's impossible to really tell, you know. Yeah. Do you think tell. there's there's potential benefit though in having i don't know maybe a slightly more supple wheel setup but certainly front wheel for for keeping things in contact yeah i definitely think it's it's a place to go depending on the rider's mass you know for the slightly lighter riders it's definitely something i'd, I'd like to try you know if, if i was working with them it's definitely something i suggest if they hadn't thought about it you know yeah. it's definitely uh yeah what about differences in the rest of the setup from kind of val de to so lens hider like will will suspension be be set up significantly different do you think initially no i don't think so i, I mean some riders will, will make some small changes to, to bar height um maybe maybe wheelbase and a few other bits and bobs just based off how less gnarly this place is in terms of impacts to valdesoli but they all know that they're going to try and go as fast as is humanly possible here in all categories uh come come saturday even come friday afternoon for qualities so they'll all want the support that they're used to to a point without sacrificing that front wheel traction that and that good balance in general so yeah there'll be some changes made but i i don't think people at least initially i don't think they'll go too far away from what the, what they they're used to and what they ran last week uh, just based off the track here they'll let the track bait in they'll let them themselves get comfortable on lines and direction and everything else and maybe even go to the point of doing qualities on a pretty similar setup to Valdesoli and then making some more drastic changes if things go good or bad. Okay. And but everyone's the, got their everyone's got their individual process, so it's hard to say. Yeah. And gradient wise, so Valdesol people talk about being relatively consistent in gradient. Is am I right in saying that Lenzerheide has a bigger range of gradient, like the steep stuff's really steep and then the, maybe some of the bits in between are a more no. mellow or is it relatively consistent as well i think i think people people get skewed by what they see on tv in val Sole. if you've not been there val Sole is actually one of the flatter tracks we raised um it's not actually that sustained steep anywhere and it's got one it's got four very noticeable flat sections as well val Sole. Mm-hmm. extremely like to the point of one of them's uphill um okay. uh so it's got those, those four really noticeable flat sections it's got some steep stuff but really the way things are taped and the way things are directed in val Sole now it's I, I don't know how to quantify it. I, I can't give it a good quantification, but it's considerably less steep than it used to be. So now at the, uh-huh. at the bottom section of Valdesoli, we've got, if I count off the top of my head, we've got about nine corners leading to that jump out into the open. Yeah. Um, I remember being in, in Valdesoli in 2012 and watching clips from 2007, 2008 World Champs. And where we have those nine to 10 corners now, there was two. So it used to be extremely steep in spots. It's not the case anymore. So actually, in terms of gradient and in terms of changes from steep to flat, we're actually pretty close between these two tracks. Pretty close. Okay. It's those corners under the lift that really demand a different approach out of rider and bike. Yeah. They're just, they don't have support in the right place. They're slippy and washy because of the gravel. There's double lines. There's an inside and an outside on almost all of them, which means that if 10 riders take an outside, the inside gets dirty. So it's constantly evolving. It's it's never confidence inspiring. It's got loose, shady rocks. So that's that's the bigger difference is the the surface almost. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I've seen uh, footage in the past of riders following teammates on alternative lines through there, trying to work out what's fast and what's slow. But it's it's interesting that 
that can change as well from uh, like throughout the pack, depending on who's riding what line. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's a key thing for the analysis. Like everyone talks, there's so many dads trackside like myself these days, and I'm not sure what other people's processes are, but, you know, giving quality information to the riders, uh, well filtered is, is, a, is a big concern for me. And, and knowing how to film, knowing what, having a good judge or an objective measure of what people's entry speeds are, um, knowing how or why they chose that line. So there's lots of little factors going into you know, even just the condition of the inside line versus the outside line when you filmed it, you know? So there's, there's lots of small factors that go into the analysis. You can't just like plonk two videos side by side from 20 minutes apart and just get two times and be like, that's it where we've decided, you know, like, which is, I think what a lot of people do. So, Yeah. Interesting stuff. So are you aware of any other changes to the track? Is there, are there any rumors kicking around? Um, Cade, Cade and chaos, <laughs> The boys, uh, they follow um, a free rider, one of their friends, I think, uh, who was here previously, not so long ago, maybe a month ago. And one of the famous, um, there's a, a flat straight section, come out of the woods, do a rock triple and pump through a big long right-hand berm. And there used to be a, a triple, which was like a double-double or a, a, a double single for normal riders, but the World Cup racers would triple it. That's now like a, a bike park bridge jump that's got an extremely steep lip on one side and, and a pretty flat one on the other. So it's going okay. to be very difficult to navigate at speed if it's if it's actually in the course. We'll see today on track walk, but uh, if that's in the, in the course, there's going to be some serious complaints. Number one, uh, scrubs num- scrubs number two, and dead bodies number three. So <laughs> interesting because neither of the lips are appropriate for the speed these guys are hitting it at. Is I that- think from what I saw on on the the uh, video footage the boys showed me, uh, the right hand side lip uh, is definitely serviceable at speed, usable at speed, but it's on the right hand side, and you come out of the corner on the left. So Okay, and mountain bikers, especially the elite men, want to go as straight and as fast as possible. That's principle number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair comment. Interesting. Well, hopefully, we'll find out a bit more about the track later on today. Let's talk a bit about how things are shaping up um, in the overall. So, Miriam and Cami Balanche are tying for the lead in the women's field. Miriam's obviously got some serious momentum from taking world champs, but Cami was third also a really good result and just seems to be riding an incredibly sort of sensible and confident season. Miriam's going to be in demand, right? There's going to be a lot of media that want to speak to her. There's the whole curse of the stripes sort of thing, which is coming in halfway through the season for these riders. Do you think it's going to have any impact on the overall? Um, Really good questions. And I think on the Miriam and the rainbow jersey point, I honestly think uh, similar to Cami Balanche and Reese Wilson, um, she's just going to relish relish having it. And I think she didn't get to wear it very much when she won it in Montana 2019 because of the pandemic. Um, so I, I think it's just going to be a motivating factor for her, if nothing else. Um, you mentioned Cami's consistency, and we actually, or I watched some some of the previous races here, and I watched some of Cami's footage from two or three years ago, and the progression she's made as a rider and a racer has been phenomenal since since that point. So yeah. she's, yeah, she's a threat for the overall just out of consistency because as we saw with Tani and Leger, Miriam and Leger and Leo Gang and stuff, uh, you know, at, at times certain ladies have a lot more pace than others, a lot more raw speed, but condensing that into a, a usable, effective race run is a challenge. So for the overall, you know, you may not be the fastest rider in the world, but you're definitely the, the best for winning the overall, you know. So it's going to yeah. be super, super interesting. Tan is not too far away in the overall. Qualifying points matter a lot, and Tan has lost a lot of qualifying points this year. Um, 
one one or two slip ups for either girl Miriam or, or Cami in the in qualifying can can make a big impact on the overall as we go to snowshoe and some of the other girls like Eleonora Farina um, and a couple others like Monica Harasnik has, has come on yet again another little leap this year mm-hmm. uh, so some of those some of those girls can can slot into some pretty high positions and take away points from other girls or genuinely win them themselves whatever way you look at it uh, yeah, so yeah. the over the, for now the overall is kind of up in the air to a point I think uh, this race will de- will decide a lot of things and then when we get the snowshoe that's going to be a big week of attrition you know transatlantic travel um, a double header uh, on a pretty fast and very demanding track if it's wet uh, and obviously the the Saturday race in snowshoe will be all points for finals no points for qualities so there's a there's still a lot to do we've got three races and a whole lot of things can happen so yeah it's, it's going to be really really interesting i'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it from a work perspective and really looking forward to it for the sport and the fans definitely and it's a home race for cami as well so there's a, an element of, of comfort i guess like being near to home and the local crowd is always pretty supportive and uh, you get some loud cheers yeah they'll, they'll love it uh, cami is from i don't know if she's from freeborg or I can't remember off the top of my head. I'll I'll, I'll do her no justice, but she's she's definitely a, a genuine bilingual Swiss person. So you know, uh, Swiss, German, and French. I think she, French is her day to day language. So it's not really very homely because this is very much Kaubund and it's very much Swiss German romance. Uh, yeah. But the support will be huge. I think there's so many people going to come here uh, if they're allowed to watch Nino race the cross country on Sunday. Yeah, like 20, 2019 here for the World Cup was phenomenal for the cross country. I think it was thirty something thousand people. Um, the atmosphere was just electric. So I think a lot of those people have come here and support the downhillers as well. So Cami will definitely, Cami, Siegenthaler, and just anyone in a Swiss jersey or with a bit of Swissness will will be well supported for sure. Yeah. And it makes a difference, right? Yeah, That extra cheer at the side of the track, you feel that as a rider, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, it's you it might not be the same language for, for Cami or Emily Siegenthaler, uh, but in terms of how the place feels, it switzerland and they feel at home you know so they've, they've got that extra age from just feeling comfortable at home they've been here before for ixs cups and swiss cups and swiss national champs um and the sport's going to be their track side so yeah there's there's always a little little bit of contentness you know i think i, I saw yolanda neff looking very content as well walking around so <laughs> good stuff and tani's still suffering from this kind of neck upper back injury like it, it cost us some practice time at uh at worlds which feels like it was the sensible thing right if it's painful then taking a bit of time away has got to be good but it's, uh, it feels like a, a niggling thing that, that doesn't want to go away do you think it's possible to get to a point where Tani's able to race and ride without pain this season or she has raced and, and ridden without pain this season um uh-huh. previously Leger Maribor um so I think the current the current issue she's experiencing, um, definitely a knock-on from Maribor crashes, training the week after, um, caused caused a few little issues. Uh, so it's, it's just a management process and upper upper back, shoulder, neck tightness and soreness is something a lot of riders deal with, especially in a place like Val d'Asoli. And, and for Tani, it's just the risk of a, a muscular spasm caused by the, the nerve getting pinched in her neck is, is pretty high. Um, so being cautious is a smart move because if things do spasm, then neck mobility cervical mobility is next to zero and trying to ride your bike when you can't look left right or up is extremely challenging so just being cautious is is the name of the game and sadly these sorts of less than concrete niggling little injuries do have a big impact on confidence no matter how hard you work you know so it's dropping into tracks like Val de Soli 
when your confidence levels is are not at a hundred percent can can be a very big challenge physically emotionally psychologically for anyone you know so hopefully things go well but um yeah another another rider that seems to be coming back to form i'm not sure whether she's on full form yet but she can definitely uh wreak havoc with the overall and and take some points away from riders is marine cabaret right she put in a pretty sterling performance considering i I don't think she would say she's 100 percent fit yeah i think her her injury is is a real real interesting one it's just uh, you know deep deep hematoma muscular muscular bruise that went as far as bruising the bones in the legs and i think it's just a case of discomfort and pain from what what some of her teammates have told me um and that's that's exactly the same she's just got back to racing now um still suffering from pain but by and large functioning well it seems so everything works as it should um and it's the famous c word confidence is the biggest currency come race day so she's just slowly chipping away at building her confidence back at, at races and at race pace and it, it definitely uh, she did a good job in valdesoli and it paid off massive so yeah she's going to be a if if the confidence is slowly creeping back and, and the body is, is responding well to back-to-back races then she's going to be a, a big threat again for podiums and victories and she could yeah wreak havoc in the overall or maybe not she just she'll slot in there she may slot in there at the top and it doesn't really wreak much havoc in the overall she may slot in in p3 and and chop a massive gap between miriam camille and tani and anyone else so yeah we'll see yeah see how that one pans out and then in the men's tivo de prella's still got a good lead but i mean a couple of crashes in his race run i don't know how beat up he is but momentum certainly going towards greg troy also having a really good result those two sitting in second and third in the overall and and i've seen greg talk that the overall is on um but it needs tebow to to kind of have a bad weekend really i think he's realistic there that the points gap's pretty big but yeah again momentum shift but assuming uh he had a fairly big night out on sunday is it is that going to have any impact on his week or or do you think it's possible to have a big night on a Sunday and still race well on a Saturday? If you're Greg Menard, anything's possible, um, <laughs> especially a big night on a Sunday. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if momentum is the correct term, but confidence and um, enjoyment in his work is definitely in Greg Menard's corner at the moment. So he is a big danger man for for creeping up that overall just little by little this race qualities finals and the next two races and i think that double header like i said for the ladies that double header in snowshoe depending on what way confidence motivation momentum crashes setbacks and all those sorts of things go at this race those top four four guys well top three guys really because batiste is, is not racing um, those top three guys really like really really can just things can just flip and switch pretty quick and tebow's got the buffer and the buffer could really really you know, save his day if he if he has a bad week at the races at any point in time. Um, but definitely Menard, Troy, super consistent this year, have everything they need to do damage at any race. So it's, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. And even to be fair, Loris Vergier and Laurie Greeland aren't a million miles off in the points. And Loris clearly has the pace, I think, just maybe struggled with fatigue towards the bottom end of the track from, from what he was saying. And Laurie was, I, I think, had the pace to win that, but got unlucky or pushed a little too hard in the conditions that he came down in so yeah there's there's maybe still five guys that could potentially be in the mix there but yeah like you say it needs Tebow to to have a bad week at least one bad week yeah Lars Vergi is riding amazing he's I think most people have identified that he's probably the fastest man out there in terms of raw pace 
as we saw in Maribor and, and as we kind of saw multiple times in, in Valdesoli. Um, he got pretty pretty wild in Sector 3 in his race run in Valdesoli and things started to go a bit a bit skew ways from there. I think he, he missed carrying some exit speed in a crucial flat section, which really dented his, his overall run time. And then things got just a little bit sloppy from there. I don't know if it was more of a, a focus and a a focus and an attention thing as much as it was a, a pure physical thing, you know. But yeah, I think all of them. There's yeah, they, I'm excited. Bottom line, super excited to see how how Menard deals with carrying the rainbows after a five year gap or whatever it is. Uh, excited to see how Loris deals with the fact that he is the fastest man out there at the moment. Excited to see how Tebow deals with the buffer he has and the support network he has and how how effective that bike looks like it can be at certain times. So yeah, super um, interesting times ahead. Yeah. And interesting to see they're still developing that bike. It, it had a, a floating caliper on, I think for, for Valder Sol at least. I don't know if that's a track specific thing that they were bringing in or, uh, or some, or just a, a general update throughout the season, but it's incredible the amount of, uh, of engineering that's going in there. The push to just have the fastest bike on the circuit is never ending. Yeah, it, it's really cool to see. It's it's, it's pushing. It's definitely going to push some other teams on. Um, I think the floating caliper was definitely a, a Valdosoli specific idea, but that doesn't mean it's not going to carry on for the rest of the season. And I was trying to figure out um, what iteration they're on because obviously Miriam's bike is very different to Amory's, very different to Angel Suarez's bike, very different to Tebow's bike. Um, I'm trying to figure out what iteration they're on for who, but it's, it, it could be on like a seventh, seventh or eighth iteration of, of that bike since the start of this year or since the end of last year. So it's it's super impressive. It's interesting. Um, it's not giving them an enormous advantage. It doesn't look like as of yet, um, especially because some of the other women and men are also on high pivots. Uh, the old Comensal, the V, whatever it was, seems to be working just fine for Coulange and, and uh, other riders. So it's, yeah, it's, it's cool for the sport to have people have a team doing some some on-the-fly motorsport-style engineering and updates. It's kind of like Formula 1 1980s, 1990s. Kind of, that's kind of the, the vibe I get. It's not quite 2021 Formula 1 where you're digitally printing whatever, you know, but it's it's getting that in that direction. It's cool. We're not helicoptering in fresh parts to the side of the track just before the race yet. I, I tell you, we're not far off from stories I've heard. We're getting there. <laughs> we're definitely if getting anyone's going to do it, it'll be Max Commensal, right? Yeah, the, the love of the love of racing that that man has, um, the desire to support his race programs and and use that as a marketing vehicle, while not while not allowing the the, the need for marketing to get in the way of, of race race performances. It's it's cool. Credit to him. Yeah, it's cool. He's, yeah. he's not he's not the only it's not the only brand in the pits with that kind of vision, but it's definitely the most high profile one or the one doing the biggest job at the moment. So it's cool. It's good to see. Yeah. Interesting. And any any sort of danger men or women that you would would pick out for this race? Like any riders that aren't maybe the big names, but you think could could have got a style or a, a bit of momentum that could help them go well on this track? Um, if if Jackson Goldstone, Oshino Callahan, Jordan Williams, those those kind of top three juniors, um, Dennis Luffman had some real good pace in Valdosoli as well. Just had a, a crash in his race run. Those kind of top three, four, potentially five juniors. It's going to be interesting to see how their times compare um, to the elites because we've got some first-year juniors mixing with second-year juniors in the junior category and they're all pushing each other and we're into top te- top 20, almost top 15 times for um, Jackson, O'Sheen, Jordan Williams, and Dennis and those kind of guys. 
so that that's something I'm interested to see this week, how that pans out, where they're where they're creeping up. Uh, Benoit Coulange, the Coulange, as he's pronounced in French, uh, is due a win now. It looks like so that's going to be yeah. super interesting to see. Angel Suarez is uh, is due a full clean run uh, without a crash. Um, yeah. Dakota Norton as well was on some yep. strange lines and some big pace in Valdesoli. So that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, David Trummer as well is absolutely rapid with big confidence. Uh, I'm not sure if he's got that last little edge for for victory, but definitely lower steps at the podium are easily within reach for him. Um, Reese and Charlie, really interested to see how the momentum from Valdesoli carries over. Reese has had some good results here at this track before. And his his light touch on some of the, some of these sections will definitely uh, work in his favor. Uh, so there's yeah, there's some Dan, Danny Hart's chomping at the bit for another victory. Yeah. The, the list is long. Huh? The list is long, and a lot of these guys I've just mentioned have big support. Everyone's got people trackside. Everyone's got an engineer or a suspension guy here or whatever, whatever kind of support you know they need. There's most of the guys guys and girls we've talked about the last kind of 10, 15 minutes have a pretty solid network of support around them. So. It's a, it's a battlefield out there, so it's going to be it's going to be cool. Yeah, Kay's gone well there in the past, right? Kay's junior world champ, twenty eighteen here. Yeah, yeah. Um, we actually spoke about that last night. He says he doesn't remember the kind of the middle portion of the run. He was just <laughs> on it. Uh, he's gone well here in the past. He had an okay result here, uh, twenty nineteen, as a first year elite, uh, pretty far back in Amory's winning time. But as a first year elite, it was a solid, solid performance. And things dried out last last time we were here progressively as as the race went on. So the last kind of eight guys had a far better track than if you qualified in the fifties or forties. Um, so yeah, Kate can definitely. Uh, people don't give him enough credit. He's probably got some bike set of things to work on. When when you spend, you dip in and out between free ride and, and World Cup stuff, there can be a little bit of a lag in terms of you know getting yourself to your your race setup mid season. So he's probably got some some bike things to work on. Um, but yeah, he's he's got the support and he's most certainly got the the capabilities, the talent, the speed, the bike whatever you call it he is he's the best bike rider in the world so yeah no no problems to him fair play what about in the women's field do you think any of the the sort of the names that are just outside of the podium reach normally i guess people like millie jess blewett's climbing up like do you think any of those riders could could trouble the top spots or do you think we're going to see a lockdown by riders like miriam cami valley tani um valley needs to get a finals run sorted. That's going to be interesting to see. Um, yeah. Once she does, she, she's she's going to be very much, you know, the, the lady to, to win or beat. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. Uh, Millie Onset is definitely, she's she's figuring out how to race now, whereas you, before she was figuring out um, in, in her latter junior year and her first year elite, she was figuring out how to manage injuries and crashing. <laughs> but yeah, now, yeah. She, now, now she's figuring out that, ah, I can ride at this consistent pace get some good results, learn a lot, not get injured, feel good in my body, feel good in my confidence. So she's had a podium this year and she's definitely due another one. So that's going to be cool to see how she progresses. Yeah. Um, like I said, Harasnik has had huge ups and downs throughout her career um, and showed some big pace 2018 in Valdesoli um, really capitalizes on some of the more physically demanding sections of track in the latter sectors. Um, and that seems to be because she conserves energy exceptionally well. She's clean, she's smooth, doesn't do a whole pile of unnecessary heavy braking and pedaling. And she's just really efficient, efficient or effective. I don't know which one. So she's a, she's a danger lady as well. She's already been on the podium a couple of times this year um, and she can do it again. So it's going to be cool to see if she can. The ladies field is super interesting. We got Marine back now. I 
don't think Nina Hoffman personally I don't think the, the injuries she's had and stuff it's going to be a big challenge to get up to to her previous pace by the time the end of the season comes but anything's possible yeah. so we've got like we've just spoken about I don't know how many six seven girls with Jess Blewett and a couple of others eight yeah. girls maybe eight girls that can definitely battle it out for the, the latter half of the podium for sure if not a little bit higher so it's it's really really cool for ladies racing you know 2017 2018 2019 Miriam was injured Tani and Rachel were top two battling week in week out and Tracy Hannah was always there or thereabouts whereas now we've got seven girls that can fight for the podium so it's really it's really cool yeah definitely what weather um, then uh, well Sorry, before we finish the girls yeah um junior girls get forgotten about uh, there were some photos of jackson miriam and greg together with their rainbow stripes and medals in valasoli without the junior winner which i thought was mm-hmm. interesting strange uh but current um two fastest juniors are phoebe gale who's now injured rides for fmd racing She's got a huge future ahead of her. And Isabella Yankova from Bulgaria. Uh, And Isabella was one of only two girls doing a a natural step down in sector one in Valdesoli. The only other girl who consistently did it and did it well was was Tane. Um, Miriam tried it in her qualities. I don't think she did it again later in the week. So she's got some phenomenal bike ability. She races all the IXSs. She's got some good World Cup experience now. She's a first year junior and her times are, her times are very similar to how close Valley's times would have been. Um, in Valley's first year as a junior. So we've she's got a big future ahead of her. And once she gets into elites, it's going to be yet another top rider in the mix, I think. Yeah. Who does she ride for? I saw her on Win TV, but I didn't quite put two and two together. Um, family. Her dad's around, it looks like. Uh, there were some people around with Bulgarian tracksuit on. So there's some support there nationally, it looks like. Um, she's got some individual sponsors. She rides a Trek frame. So the, the Trek guys have kind of acknowledged that she rides a Trek and does very well and, and offered a bit of support if needed. Um, so yeah, she's, she's got a small support network as, as much as any of the junior girls kind of do currently. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's cool. It's cool to see her and Phoebe, if Phoebe, especially if Phoebe was, was injury free, it would be phenomenal battles and would push both of them on to the point where they'd be f- doing some excellent times in terms of, uh, the elite ladies times, you know? Yeah. Is Phoebe first or second year? First year junior. Big future right, ahead okay. of her. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing so, yeah, bike got... rider, full stop, and and developing a, a a good race craft and a cam race head pretty quickly too. So it's cool. Yeah, we got some uh, some good battles to come then in the junior women's field. Yeah, and some even the next stuff. the next kind of five years in the elite ladies field is going to be really really interesting as as those those girls come up to elites and the current crop of elites just continue to refine and battle it out. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, all right then. Weather, what's uh, what's the word on the ground? It's cold. That's the word on the ground. <laughs> okay. It was uh, misty, rainy when we arrived from Valdesoli, uh, single digits in the evenings and, and in the mornings. Uh, gets a bit hotter, it looks like, in the afternoon. The sun's out now. It's blue sky. It's going to be nice today. It's going to get up to maybe 15, 16, 17. Uh, tomorrow, similar, but then it looks like potentially a bit of moisture later in the week. So who knows? Last time we raced here, it was it was pretty wet. It rained race morning and then got progressively drier and it was on and off all week. Um so just fingers crossed the temperatures climb a little bit here and things stay as long as things stay fair for racing we're all happy really is a little bit of moisture in the ground a good thing there to kind of help with grip or is it a bad thing sometimes a a little bit helps a blessing and a curse uh some of the open (laughs) sections here are clay and slippy i don't know if that's because they've brought in man man man-made features and soil and soil from other parts of the hill or other other areas uh the 
those famous corners under the lift I was speaking about definitely benefit from a little bit of moisture, a little bit of tackiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rocks and the roots further down, the rock is, I don't know what type of rock it is. My geology is not the best, but the rock in Val Soli, for example, is granite. So by and large, it's, it's pretty grippy. Um, whereas here it's some sort of limestone, sandstone. I don't know what it is. It's definitely on the, on the lime end of the spectrum. So once it gets wet, it gets slippy. And if you watch back 2019's race, some of the rock gardens at the bottom, you'll see the girls racing in some, some damp conditions and it was extremely slick. So it's, it's a blessing and a curse. It's definitely a blessing and a curse. Interesting. So yeah, we could have a, a bit of interesting weather stuff going on later in the week, but we'll see how that goes. And like you say, yeah, hopefully it's consistent. That's the main thing so that everyone gets a fair, fair crack of the whip. Yeah, absolutely. Consistency is key. Look, it's an outdoor sport and it is what it is, but we all want fair racing as do the riders. So yeah, fingers crossed. But it looks like for now, track walk day and first day of practice are going to be relatively sunny. And that always keeps the mood, the vibe, as the kids say, <laughs> keeps the vibe good. Um, and I think yeah, tra- getting everyone through track walk onto first day of practice with some consistent, dry, relatively sunny, warm weather just starts the week off in the right foot for everyone and, and gives us a, a real good a real good race week. You know, if we start off wet and it progressively gets drier, heads and heads and bodies don't like it sometimes. So the other way around is almost better. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, I saw some overlay on your Instagram story, I think, of mm-hmm. Greg Minard and Benoit Coulange through the last sort of right left above the field jump in uh in Val de Sole. And I'd sort of tried to watch it and work out via tapping on the screen a lot, trying to work out which line was faster because Greg was on the outside of that right-hander and, and Benoit had the high setup and then the inside, I think. What's your view on which was faster there and do you think that potentially had an impact on the result? Am I giving too much away again or not? Well, I think I, it, I'm if, gonna, you, if you watch the line... I'm going to say that it looked like the inside was slower. The exit, I think Greg was on the exit quicker and with more pace coming out. There you go, you've answered my question for me. Um, okay. Yeah, it looks like from the analysis, I think if you watch the live feedback, everyone went outside. Um, and it, it I, I overlaid maybe six individual riders and compared them to each other in different ways. I'm not going to give away my, my full process. Um, and it just looked like that the, the heavy brake checkup at a point where you could be carrying, still carrying exit speed from that first berm for a far later breaking point into the next corner that checkup heavy checkup to go inside just killed speed so much that it, it was just slower no matter what no matter how well you executed it was always going to be slower and you had to be yeah. you, you got more gradient you got more more slope out of the inside but it was a little bit rough and you had to be super cautious initially to make sure you didn't slip out so even though it was more direct between the checkup and between how bumpy it was as you tried to accelerate again the the outside outside was just heaps better but there was a little variation in how you did the drop into the, the last left-hander um so that was that was that ended up being key to how you approach the whole thing it looked like so there you go yeah so that 0.227 or whatever it was could have could have been from that corner yeah well uh coulange went went took exactly the same line as menard um, it was off the last jump around those corners that, that lost Benoit his, his world champ stripes. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And that, that, that was, that lost some people, some, some big positions this week or last week. Yeah. Finn took that line as well, didn't he? I think so. Yeah. It's really, really interesting to see just how people yeah. approached braking, tucking, pedaling, 
positioning and it lost Loris an enormous amount of time those last two swoopy corners in the open yeah so yeah interesting oh skulls margins to be had huh yeah keep an eye on the point one athletic instagram story for uh all the good lines (laughs) you see (laughs) i I didn't i didn't I didn't get to share much uh, during. I actually went back through my, my Instagram story archive because I felt like I, I barely used Instagram, and I think I shared some track walk photos and shared a couple of pictures of rocks, and then that I shared the day after racing, what where you just spoke about, and that was it. And actually, that made me realize just how intense of a week it was because I, I didn't share anything. And normally, yeah, I try and share share a bit more just because it's it, it allows me to kind of express myself in a different way and kind of pull the head away from dealing with the riders just allows me to be a bit more bit more myself which i think helps me in the yeah. long run so uh yeah crazy week that's how intense it was for everyone yeah fair play all right well thanks a lot for taking some time out of your week to chat all things lens of hide hope uh hope it's a good one for everyone involved and yeah we'll catch you uh i guess on the other side of the atlantic for some uh, snowshoe chat soon yeah cool um I, I leave for snowshoe pretty early as it's a double header so yeah we'll we'll pick it up in some greasy hotel in washington dc or something sounds good nice one cheers chris thank you all right that's it for this episode with chris i really hope you've enjoyed listening a massive thank you to muckoff for supporting this episode of the show they've just launched their first plastic free bike cleaner punk powder and as a downtime listener you can get 20 percent off that and the rest of their range by using the code downtime 20 over on muckoff.com during september head there now and check out what they have to offer If you want to own one of the very first limited editions of Downtime EP at special early bird pricing, then head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and leave us your name and email address in the next couple of days. We're really close to going to print and we're going to be sending early bird deals to everyone who's registered really soon. So make sure you get involved. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show and help out, then you can get your hands on our range of merch by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop with all proceeds going to help improve the show. If you're still listening and you've got some time, there's a few things you can do to help. First off, tell your mates about the podcast, because the more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going. Share the episodes on your social media. It's a great way to spread the word and it helps get some buzz going around the episodes too. And if you fancy it, then a review on Apple Podcasts goes a long way. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up soon, but until then, get out and ride. (laughs) 